when you have children. But it does expand your purpose in life. I think you have to be more hopeful when you have children. And I want to be a part of the change that's making the future a better place for them, for my daughter, for her generation. Hello and welcome to Miseducated, the show about unlearning the misguided rules from society that govern our lives. With me, your host, Tash Doherty. Hello everyone and welcome back to Miseducated. With me, your host, Tash Doherty. This week, I'm chatting again with Serena Schuller, award-winning director, writer and series creator. Here, I ask her all about how she actually got the cast and crew together for her current and most ambitious project, which is called Makeshift Society, and it's an original TV comedy series about a female founder. I also chat to Serena about the importance of diversity in the cast and what it was like to have a baby during the coronavirus. We also very randomly geek out on Jewish writing in the 20th century, specifically Yiddish feminist authors. So please enjoy. I guess it's difficult to say with a COVID timeline, like when (laughs) all of these Mm -hmm. things are going to happen. But how does that work? So Mm -hmm. you film the pilot and then let's say you have the green light. Do you get all your actors back together? Like what would that actually look like? So to make this happen, it is a matter of getting getting production companies involved so that it's a bigger entity and rev up the machine. So once it has a network with studio backing, then we can go to filming. I have the show Bible ready to go. The episode's ready to go. The cast can't wait. So uh, I do want to share one fun story of the cast, and I'm super proud of this. This cast, a, a very diverse cast, comedic actors, theater and drama backgrounds, so all different kinds of backgrounds coming into this into the story and they hadn't met before they were strangers the first time they came together in rehearsal but over the course of the week of filming the pilot together they became close so close in fact we had wrapped filming on the final day as the ensemble cast and you'll see in the pilot when they become a unit as makeshift society the six of them and we we wrapped for the day the crew was uh, packing down the the set and so we were there till like close to midnight that night. It was, it was much later of a night. But hours later, after the cast had been, long been dismissed, I hear them like, the cast is back. I'm eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's my dinner. And I go outside and the whole cast is back. They, these people were strangers five days ago. They had their arms around each other. They, they'd gone to the bar together. <laughs> they had become friends, really close friends. And one of the actresses she, who plays Ames, who runs the co-working space and makes it society, she turns to me and she said, well, Serena, of course we became friends. Like you like found us, you put us together. <laughs> she actually said you manifested this. But I couldn't believe that it happened in reality. I mean, chemistry is one of those things with actors. You, know, you, you cast an actor and you hope it works out, you put them together. You hope that they, they, they at least pretend to like each other. But the fact that they really became a unit, they really became a group of friends, that to me was like, oh, this is going to be something. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of like the friends class, literally, of six people, you know, all together Mm -hmm. and and having a great Mm -hmm. time. And so, I mean, when you were Mm -hmm. casting them, did you think about how they worked as a dynamic together? Or were you just like, oh, whole new slate, like, let's, let's start from scratch? 
That's a great question. So the very first table read, it was more of a script development table read, and it was a way for me to hear the script aloud. I brought six actors to my house, got them drinks, <laughs> and just to hear the words aloud. And one of the actors who showed up to that very first read ended up becoming the character of Carlos, the costume designer. Mm. So I should say, in this world of makeshift society, uh, some of the founders are tech startup founders, and some of them are in the creative arts. And I wanted that to echo sort of the world, the world I know in San Francisco, which is both the tech world and the artistic world. So Carlos was, yeah, Eduardo was at that first table read and he became part of the cast. I had worked with Amy Shank, who played the character of Go, who's Alex's best friend, who really brings her into the co-working space. I had met her through the film world in San Francisco. She's a stand-up comedian and improviser. She's hilarious. So I knew I wanted her to play the role of Go. Someone had recommended Nardeep, who played Samir, and he had been on Jane the Virgin and other TV shows in LA. So they had all come from different places in my life. Yeah. I was just hoping that alchemy, and it happened. They became real friends. Wow. And I think maybe that's something that you're not necessarily thinking about when you're in like the writing mode or like the directing mode. The thing that you're creating is having an impact on the lives and the stories of the characters and the cast and everyone that watches it too. It's crazy. Yeah. It changes the lives of people who work on the show. The man who plays Carlos, he is uh, Mexican, American, and he said that this is the first role where I'm not playing a cook or a drug dealer. Oh, Jesus. And, and a criminal. And I oh. thought to myself, like, this is the first part, and he plays a very flamboyant gay costume mm-hmm. designer for Burning Man and Beta Breakers, these wonderful, colorful festivals that we have in the Bay Area. This is the first time he got offered a part like this. I'm just so happy that these are the experiences that people had making the pilot and I know that ourselves when you watch the pilot that oh this is this is an experience that inspires me too yeah definitely I think with all of these things it's like all these firsts are coming way too late but it's better than uh, never you know <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> but, um totally mm-hmm. but yeah Chadwick Boseman gave a really good talk at Howard University about his experiences becoming an actor and he did actually turn down some positions and said like this is too stereotypical of a role uh, this character hasn't got any depth, right? So it's like, I think, you know, we need to call on directors and writers to really like think more deeply and critically about the positions and the the roles that they're creating for a diverse cast, you know? So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. That oh, yeah, yeah. Representation really, it really, really matters. And that was fun too, is collaborating in the, the table reads, like hearing some of the feedback from the actors and, oh, well, that's that's a great detail that I can weave into the story because they're all living, breathing characters. So did you get help writing the show as well? Or was it mostly just like a very lonely <laughs> solo experience? <laughs> yeah, writing writing is a very long and a challenging process. So I was really grateful to have these table reads as a way of developing the story. I'll share a funny story. For this very first table read, I had brought the first version of the script. And like many TV shows, this story originally had a love interest woven into the pilot episode. And I thought, okay, this is like normal. (laughs) What I was not prepared for was this debate. After we finished reading the script aloud, I thought, oh my gosh, we'll want to talk about this badass female founder and how cool she is. All I wanted to talk about was 
whether or not she should hook up with this dude. <laughs> and some were like, oh yeah, she should do it. And others were like totally against it. And I thought, oh gosh, this is way too distracting. So I decided to take out that storyline. And I realized that the central story that like the relationship that was really central, that really mattered, this relationship that she has with her co-founder, eventual co-founder Go. Um, and it's the two of them pursuing their ambitions together. Focus, yeah, people. no, I think it's super important and almost, I would hate to say it, but I hope you're not breaking boundaries and stuff there by portraying women in a way that it's like they're tech focused and not there to be relationship focused. I don't know, the romantic aspect I think is not really that relevant. And it kind of reminds me of this tweet mm-hmm. that I read by this guy a couple of weeks ago where he was like, make sure you find product market fit before you hire like a pretty girl. And I was just like, it's this classic thing where we're still seen in this <laughs> super like over-sexualized way, right? And it's like, no, the whole point about Alex is she's this badass female founder and her, you know, co-founder is this engineer and they, they've got shit to do, you know what I mean? Like they're not just there yeah. to be pretty and be seen in this over sexualized context um so yeah I think that's great <laughs> yeah yeah it's oh gosh all this all this that you hear about is so cringe inducing yeah it's really you do need to unprogram your mind away from <laughs> away from what's happened in the past but the benefit of doing a narrative is that and not a documentary is that you can like you can make up the future so we can tell a new story yeah I think that's amazing so where are you based at the moment and how's that all going during coronavirus times? Yeah. Oh, coronavirus times. So I am based in my apartment in San Francisco. This is month nine of lockdown and surviving, thriving. I had sort of a good COVID project with having a baby during this time. I had yeah. the baby in June. Yeah, it, it was very nerve wracking when the pandemic was like gearing up and like, oh my gosh, would the spouses be allowed in the hospital at the time a lot of questions would family be able to travel still no my parents my husband's parents live on the east coast and neither of them have met the baby it's like so bananas I know it breaks my heart they see her on zoom so I had originally had this grand idea that my baby wouldn't be exposed to any kind of technology at all until she was like five or 15. I don't know. I was going to figure it out later. And then COVID happened and suddenly week one, she was in front of oh, the God. laptop screen, lying, like, like pressed <laughs> against the screen to show the grandparents. This oh, is your gosh. grandchild. And that's how they've been staying connected. I think she's slowly discovering what the iPhone is and maybe knowing how to pose for photos. Mm. I get the distinct feeling that she is aware of what technology is. Because I also looked on your Twitter and the most recent tweet that you have is you posting letters to encourage people in Michigan and Texas to vote. And then your baby is just in the pushchair right behind you. And I'm just like, wow, you are like, in every aspect of your life, it's just like a lot of, I don't know, multitasking and everything. So how has that all been? Because here you are, you've made the series, this is all like taking off. And then you also have this other thing to care for at the same time. So that's got to be, you know, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, well, it's given, it's given me extra motivation for sure. It expands the world from just being like, okay, this is for like abstract the next generation to like actually the world needs to be different for my daughter and her generation. So it's very much a driving force. And for the election too, I 
needed to be the person that she could look up to. And how could I look at her and say, like, I didn't try everything to win this election. So I'm very proud of that. And yeah, so she's extra motivating. That's amazing. Wow. Which also makes so much sense. I don't want to badger on too much about like you having the baby, but how did that tie into the timeline of you filming everything? Did you film like a different point in your pregnancy or before? Oh yeah. So we finished filming and post-production on the pilot episode before baby. Um, But now that it's in the distribution phase, this is when uh, she emerged, emerged on the scene. Can I try this again? Yes. <laughs> I might just put this in as like a funny blooper because I think it's it's cute. Anyway, yes. Go for it. No. Start again. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So I, we finished filming and doing post-production before she arrived. But now we're in the distribution stage and she's here. It's in COVID time. So I'm just trying to juggle with sending some emails and setting up screenings in between burpings and feedings and diaper changes so it's a lot of spinning plates it makes it more fun though and so you were kind of talking a bit about how you see your work more meaningfully going for future generations now that you have your daughter how do you hope it will be different for her or like is what does that extra motivation look like for you when you're launching the pilot and things yeah I heard one female director once talk about this as like, it's no longer the universe of me. <laughs> I think that's true. When you have children, then it becomes the universe of them. No, uh, but it does expand your purpose in life. I think you have to be more hopeful when you have children. And I want to be a part of the change that's making the future a better place for them, for my daughter, for her generation. Totally. And when you were learning about filming and all these kinds of things, who were some yeah. of the other directors and people that you looked up to and some of the work that inspired you to continue doing this as well? Well, I love the women in comedy. So Nora Ephron, Tina Fey, and just like smart, funny, badass women is my jam. Like Thelma and Louise is my favorite movie. Like I'm just all about it and also women who are very untraditional in their own lives that's what inspires me so I read Diary of a Lonely Girl which is about a Jewish immigrant coming to New York City she comes to New York in the teens this is during World War One and it was during the first wave of hipsters in New York City and so these were I think that the socialists and like the, the era of like free love in New York City which I did not know about the author is Miriam Karpolov and she writes about her life as an intellectual and like wanting to be on par with the guys. But the guys see her as a very like sexual free agent and refuse to see her for her mind. So I like that she was very like defiant. She was uh, an early writer who was a woman, which was very rare for the time. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, I wish that like... I don't know. Do you still do you still speak Yiddish? Like my family spoke Yiddish a couple of generations back, but we kind of oh. missed the boat on in terms of learning it, which is a bit sad. Oh, um, oh, yeah. yeah. But this is like the Yiddish language. It does have this history where it wasn't passed down intentionally because it was the language of the old country of Eastern Europe, and it was a, a time when the Jews were not treated as full citizens, and so when the Jews moved to other regions of the world, they wanted to assimilate and to take on the new language. My parents told stories that 
their parents would speak it to each other as like a secret language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's how it was often used, and to not teach the the children Yiddish. But I have recently gotten into uh, Yiddish translated literature. I'm not I'm not reading in the original Yiddish. I'm reading in do not know Yiddish um, for the records, but I think now these stories are being translated so we're able to like read and appreciate them in a new way. Yeah, I would love to read some translated Yiddish feminist writing, like, <laughs> hell yes. <laughs> uh, and yeah, a Jewish immigrant story. Yeah, I'll send you a few recommendations. Yeah, yeah, super cool. Would love and for it. all our Yiddish, all our Yiddish listeners out there. <laughs> so um, how did the timing work out? when you were filming, screening, premiering, et cetera? Sleep, Serena. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so actually uh, at the premiere screening where we had the cast, the crew and the donors, this is the premiere screening in San Francisco last, yeah, I was secretly pregnant. That's so exciting. Parents had flown in for it and uh, I didn't even tell them because it was too early in the pregnancy. How was that keeping it from your parents? I feel like that was. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of there were a lot of uh, butterflies that day. So, so I was premiering it for the first time. I thought, oh my gosh, they're going to throw tomatoes at me. Uh, am I going to vomit on stage? Like, what's going to happen? Um, but fortunately, people loved it, and it was very positive, and yeah. there was no vomit. Amazing! <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> my main problem is that I felt bad for like talking so much about the baby and the film thing happening at the same time, but I just felt like that was more real than pretending that either it wasn't happening or these things are separate because they're so like intertwined in a way. Oh yeah. I think it's so traditional for you to compartmentalize. It certainly guys compartmentalize so much and I've for sure internalized that. And yeah, initially I didn't want anyone to know. I'm just like, oh, must be professional. But then I started sharing that I was pregnant with my advisory team and my donors and they're very excited. So I realized I needed to unlearn some of the toxic old way of doing things. Uh, Sarah Lacey, the tech journalist, has an amazing book called The Uterus is a Feature, Not a Bug. Wow, I've got to read that. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It's fantastic. She writes about this. She writes about how women are penalized for becoming mothers or they're a liability to become mothers in the workplace. But actually being a mother is an asset because you develop all these skills, you have better time management, you learn how to uh, work with irrational people like toddlers. She has two children of her own now. Um, But yeah, I thought it was a very eye-opening book because we do, as women, need to unlearn some of the more traditional, outdated ways of thinking about having children and being professional career women. And do you think the coronavirus time has kind of helped with that? Like, do you have more flexibility now? How has that worked for you? Oh, I think it's so crazy for women. It's it's this huge, massive tragedy, and COVID is this huge, massive tragedy on so many levels. And one thing I'm seeing so pronounced is the lack of childcare or the fear of getting childcare has really carried over people who I'm friends with, mothers and, and my cohort. So I'm very hopeful about the future. Right now is really a very difficult time for women who are trying to keep their families safe and healthy and keep their careers going in whatever capacity. So I just say, like, any moms who are listening, you are incredible. Keep going. 
yeah. this time will pass and you will be stronger than ever before. I'm really glad that, you know, you're able to say that because I'm not a mother myself. I'm just a very spoiled millennial who's looking at all of these professional women being <laughs> like, wow, it must suck to have kids right now and have to put them through through e-learning and all this stuff. So shout out to all the moms out there, new and slightly more experienced, you know, um, seasoned veteran or, mothers. <laughs> yeah, or the secret moms who are going to be announcing to the world soon. I'm very excited for you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, totally. Whoever out there listening. Yes, it would have been sad if we had um, ended the show and not done the shout out to mums, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. I love that. Okay, I think I've asked most of the questions that I wanted to ask you. Um, oh. Anything else that you wanted me to touch on while we're here? Oh. Like, we can literally oh. go wherever you want to go. It's yeah, a very well, free plane. Well, thank you so much, Tosh. This is so much fun chatting with you. So thank you for being an amazing champion for us. I think it's really easy to find, like, the big, splashy, big thing. And it's um, hard and wonderful that you are championing us newbies, the block. Oh, thank you. No, I I mean, again, even with this, it's like, this is your first podcast that you're going to probably, or like not your first, but one of the first. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll probably do this like 10, 15, whatever more times, right? Like it's just practice for the center stage is mm-hmm. basically what I'm, what I'm kind of seeing this as. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm. now you have a good answer for that, which which means a lot too. So <laughs> all amazing things. Yes, amazing. Okay, cool. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Miseducated. If you want to learn more about Serena and Makeshift Society, you can visit makeshiftsociety.com. I hope you're all staying safe and well and that you'll join us again next week when I speak to Lily Sparks, who's the founder and CEO of Afterglow, a porn company for women. So lots of love. Bye.